pleased this morning to welcome back Paul Carey as our preacher, and he will come and deliver the rest of the service. Paul? Oh, good morning. It is a delight to be back worshiping with you this morning, to be singing God's praises together. Uh, it's beautiful. So this morning I want to start off, before we turn to this sermon text, asking the question, how does God love? How does God love? You know, when you think about God's love, you probably have one of two reactions. You may think of God as a good friend, you know, uh, someone you can depend on, someone who's close to you. And so to hear that God loves you is a great comfort. You have warm feelings. It's amazing that God loves you. We're happy and uh, rejoice in his love. But for some, hearing God loves you is like nails on a chalkboard. When you look at the world around you and see the wars and injustice, the pain that's felt by so many people, God's love may sound like a fairy tale. If God loves us, then why are these bad things happening? And maybe you've experienced this yourself. Maybe you've had a lot of pain or trauma in your life, and God's love just doesn't seem real. And that attitude is pretty close to what we find in the book of Malachi. Malachi is going to be, chapter 1 is going to be our sermon text this morning. So as you turn there, let me tell you a bit of the context of uh, the book of Malachi. Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament tells the story of God's relationship with man. From creating humanity to man's rebellion and sin against God, the Old Testament tells the story of how God made promises to love and restore man into his presence. He did this through making promises to people like Abraham and his descendants that he would work through the nation of Israel to bring this redemption. But Israel rebelled against God repeatedly and eventually faced God's justice and judgment. Because of their willful turning away from God and his promises, the Israelites were forcibly removed from the promised land. They were sent into exile into Babylon. And they became refugees facing racial discrimination and prejudice. But God had made promises to work through his people and God keeps his promise. And so he brought Israel back, from the pro- back to the promised land. And as Israel returned, they came to a land that was in shambles. Their cities were in ruins and their temple had been destroyed. Their great city, Jerusalem, was destroyed, burned, and looted, and left as a pale mockery of what it used to be. Israel had been let back into the land, yet it bore the scars of their sin. There was, and they were still ruled over by the Babylonians, and life wasn't easy. And that's where the book of Malachi picks up. Malachi chapter 1 is God addressing the people in this hurting state as they are raw from the suffering of pain, of God's punishment. So here, Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, and declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eye shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. This is God's word for us today. 
Hearing this passage in the context it's given, it's not that surprising that the people are sort of disbelieving at what God says. God comes and says, I have loved you. And the people ask, in what way have you loved us? This pattern of God stating a truth and the people questioning it is something that uh, the book of Malachi repeats. Again and again, God states his truth and the people question it. And then God patiently answers their questions. And he starts here with a foundational truth that God is love. God's love is so amazing. He lo- his love is real and personal, even though at times it's seen through painful justice. God shows his love for his people here by speaking with them. He loved them through dialogue. And God reminded them of his activity, of his actions. God's love is acted out in justice and mercy. And we see that God's love prompts a response. God's love leads to wonder and to worship. And so this morning, we're going to think about how God loves us under these three headings. God's love through dialogue, God's love through action, and God's love through response. So to start off with, God's love through dialogue. You know, God shows his love through speaking with his people. He takes the initiative here and starts with a powerful statement. And if you think about it, speaking is a huge part of any friendship or any relationship. It's a way that we show people that we care for them, that we want to get to know them. And do you have a close friend that you like to hang out with and talk to? You know, as we talk with our friends, we start to share more and more with them, more of our joys, more of our struggles, and confide in them. And as we get to know people, not everything is smooth and easy, and sometimes there's things that are annoying or hurtful. And if it's a good friendship and relationship, we'll talk through those things. I had to do that a few months ago. I was hanging out with a friend and said something just in passing that I meant as a joke and thought was funny, but turned out to be offensive and really painful and hurtful. And after a while, my friend pulled me to the side and said, do you know that what you said really hurt me? That that was offensive. And we had a long conversation, and through that, I was able to see how I had hurt him. I was able to apologize, and we were able to grow in our relationship and learn how to respect one another more. It was uncomfortable in the moment, but it led to a stronger and better friendship. Maybe you've had a similar experience to this. You know, our friendships grow and are strengthened through conversation, through talking with each other. And it's a simple truth, but communication is vital to any relationship. And that's what we see here in the opening of the book of Malachi. We're coming into a conversation about a broken and hurting relationship. This relationship between God and the nation of Israel, it's hit a snag. God has been sinned against by the people, and the people feel abandoned by God. And so God takes the initiative and speaks to them here in verse 1. And says, verse 1 says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now that word oracle might sound a bit unfamiliar, and it doesn't sound very conversational. But another way to translate the Hebrew word being used there is with the word burden. It's the word used to describe heavy loads that are being carried, and other translations might have the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. Have you ever heard of a conversation described that way as something that's a burden or a heavy or weighty conversation? You know, that's often how we describe important things that we talk about here in the church, as heavy conversations, as important as burdens that we carry. Here, God has a message that he really wants to give to Israel, something that is really important, vital for their continued growth, something that's significant. 
And what's the thing that God thinks is so important for his people to hear, these people who have been punished for their sin? He tells them, I have loved you. Despite their continued rebellion, their sinfulness, their lusts and wickedness and idolatries, God wanted the people of Israel to remember his promises, his promise to bring salvation, his promise to love them. God's love doesn't mean just warm feelings that are passive. Instead, God's love through, God loves through active communication, talking with his people and teaching them. This is one of the ways that a parent loves their child, isn't it? While this may not be everyone's experience, ideally we see that parents should be talking with their children, teaching them about life, correcting bad behavior, as well as constantly reminding them that they are loved and accepted in the family. One of the biggest ways a parent can love their child is being present with them and speaking to them, reminding them of the truths. This is how God loves us. And I can remember uh, my parents loving me in this way when I was young, and they corrected me. Uh, whenever I did something wrong, you know, broke a rule, uh, showed disrespect, or something uh, that I shouldn't have done, my parents first took me to the side and talked to me. I would get a lecture. And growing up, I always thought the lecture was worse than any punishment that might come later. My parents didn't just want to punish me, though. They wanted me to understand that what I had done was wrong. They wanted me to think through what happened and how I could have done things differently. And I had to confront the fact that I had done something wrong, that I had hurt others or been selfish or lied, and I needed to repent. Yet my parents always ended those lectures reassuring me that they did indeed love me, that I was accepted in the family, even if they were going to go ahead and still give some form of punishment. Now, my parents didn't always do this perfectly. They're not perfect people, but they were really good models to me of how God loves when God speaks with us, he does speak words of correction, words of rebuke. He is a holy God who knows what perfection is and requires perfection of his people. And he has promised to restore us to that perfection, calling us to look to him for help. He is clear that, about his love, even as he acts in justice. God does not go silently to execute justice. He always does so through dialogue, through conversation. The whole early part of the Old Testament is about God calling the people of Israel to live faithfully, talking with them. And after he brings punishment on them, the second half is God calling them back. As we see here in Malachi, God saying, I've loved you, I'm still here, I want to talk. God shows us his love through communicating, through this dialogue. He takes the initiative to work through pain and suffering to help his people. And he reminds us and he reminds the people here of his love, that he is faithful and keeps his promises. Despite the people's rebellion, despite our rebellion, God still wants to speak to us. And God's love is more than just words. His love is more than empty promises. He makes promises and then he keeps them. God says, I have loved you, and the people immediately start to question this and ask, you know, in what way have you loved us? And the people, they wanted to see God acting out his love. So in addition to God's love through dialogue, God displays his love through action. And so we come to our second point, God's love through action. We see that God loved in two ways. His action was displayed in two ways. We see God's justice, and we see God's mercy. We see this in verses 2 through 4. I have loved you, says the Lord. 
But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Does that sound a bit strange? It doesn't sound necessarily like love. It sounds sort of violent and unsettling in many ways. You know, how is that God loving? What about Esau? Well, God's reminding the people here of their history. So let's take a minute to think about the history of Israel uh, through Jacob and Esau. You know, God shows love through making and keeping promises. We see that throughout this history. His promises uh, to love through justice and mercy. And we see this in Genesis especially, through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And starting before uh, Jacob and Esau, in Genesis 12, we see God speaking with Abraham, calling him to faith, making a great promise to him. You know, Abraham was to believe and trust in God, to go to this new land, and God promised to bless him there. God promised to provide for his needs and cause the whole world to be blessed through that relationship with God. God promised to make him the father of many nations. But Abraham and his wife Sarah were childless. And many years after God had made this promise, they remained childless, and it looked like God wasn't keeping his promise. But God proved himself faithful in a miraculous way. By his power, he showed himself faithful through allowing Sarah to give birth when she was nearly 100 years old. She gave birth to Isaac. And we almost get a repeat of the story uh, in Genesis 25, where Isaac and his wife Rebecca also were childless. And it looked like God wasn't keeping his promises again. And so we read in Genesis 25, uh, verses 21 and 23, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went and inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And these two children are Jacob and Esau. You know, Esau's children became the nation of Edom, and the nation of Israel comes from Jacob. God had chosen to fulfill his promises through Jacob, but not through Esau. And this wasn't mere favoritism on God's part. God hadn't chosen uh, one that would be the more faithful servant. You know, instead, we see that both Jacob and Esau both had some pretty major character flaws. Jacob was a liar and a cheater and rarely demonstrated any characteristic that would make us think that he was a holy man. Yet in love, God was with him, calling him to repentance and calling him to live by faith. You know, God's love doesn't depend on what we can do. His love is by grace. God's love is even more amazing as we see him changing the lives of desperate sinners, as working through Jacob, calling him to faithfulness. Now, Esau wasn't a great guy either. The nation of Edom was pretty bad overall, and if you follow their history throughout the Old Testament, you'll find that the Edomites almost always stood in opposition to Israel. Though these were brother nations, the Edomites just wanted Israel to fail. Both Edom and Israel wound up in rebellion. Both turned away from God. 
And so God brought justice on both these nations, sending them both into exile and allowing the Babylonians to conquer them. And as the time of exile comes to an end, God tells the nation of Israel that his justice and judgment will continue as he shows it to Edom. And he reminds them here of his promise to redeem Israel. Now, this still might make us a bit uneasy. You know, when the Bible says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, that sounds somehow unfair. What does that tell us about God's love? Well, the Bible also gives us an answer to this in Romans 9. Romans 9, starting in verse 10, we read, But also, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done neither uh, good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. God's justice is God's love for his holiness and righteousness. God loves what is perfect because he is perfect. And sin is breaking that. Sin deserves death. Sin is disobedience to God. But God's love is even more amazing because he chooses to demonstrate it through acts of mercy as well. This is maybe a difficult thing for us to, cu- to grasp, and I know I struggle with this, because I want to think of this in terms of fairness. Doesn't God have to be fair here? But I know fairness is a term of merit. It's for something to be fair, you have to earn the right. And God's love isn't fair in that way. If God's love was fair in that way, then both Israel and Edom would be lost forever. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All deserve death. God's love is not a matter of fairness, but a matter of mercy. It is God's mercy that Jacob was chosen, not anything good or useful in him, but to show the amazing character of God's love. And that's what we saw in the cycle of Israel's rebellion. You know, they turned away from God, but God showed mercy again and again and again. That's what God is doing here. He's reminding the Israelites of his act of mercy to them. Edom stands as the one who never repents, who received God's justice. Without God's justice, then his mercy is cheap. For God to be perfect, then he must punish sin and rebellion. Without God's love shown through justice, God's love through mercy is meaningless. God must act in justice against sin, yet he may show mercy to those he chooses. And so we see that God acts out his love through justice and through mercy. And so we've thought a bit about God's love through dialogue, and we've also talked about how God demonstrates his action, his loving action through mercy and justice. God did bring justice to Israel, but not all that they deserved. God also showed mercy, continuing to keep his promise to restore them, to bring a redeemer. But there may be a few questions left. You know, how can this uh, restoration come? You know, Israel continued to sin. All of humanity continues to struggle with sin. How can a people outside of the nation of Israel, how can we have this relationship with God restored? Do we just get God's justice? 
How does God's mercy work? Well, this takes us to our final point this morning, that God's love calls for a response. We see this in verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, that may seem like an odd statement just tagged on at the end of this passage, and it may not sound like it answers the questions uh, that we've been asking about God's mercy. So let's think about it for a second. We see here God again reminding the people of his promise. God's promise was for his mercy to come through Israel and come to the whole world through them. As the people look for how God loves them, God tells them that they would see the Lord made known beyond their borders, and that the whole world would praise God. God's promised plan always was greater than just the nation of Israel. His call for response shows us that the whole world will share in his love. God's mercy was especially shown to Israel, but as a way to bring his love to other nations. That was part of God's promise. And this is the promise that he made when people first sinned, when Adam and Eve first turned from God. Back in Genesis 3, God promised to to Adam and Eve that he would send one who would crush sin and Satan. This was the hope for all humanity, that God would send someone to deal with sin. God continued this promise by working through the family line of Abraham. I mentioned Abraham, or Genesis 12, and that's where God makes the promise to Abraham, saying, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, acting through his relationship with Abraham and his descendants, was to bring blessing to the whole world. Through Isaac and Jacob, God continued to keep and build on this promise. Jacob, or Isaac and Jacob and all the children of Israel struggled with sin, separating themselves from God. And there still needed to be that perfect son who would fully obey God, that one who would come to crush sin and Satan. And this is what God is promising again here in Malachi, calling them to remember his promises. One will come who is able to be that mediator between God and man, so that God's love would be known throughout the whole world. God's love based on mercy and grace will lead to great rejoicing then as his promise for love and mercy comes to the nations. And he did this through Jesus. God himself coming to earth as man, as Jesus himself born a a woman, born a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus alone was able to perfectly obey, able to perfectly have that relationship with God, to be in his presence, to speak with him even face to face. You know, we cannot perfectly obey. We all still struggle with sin. But Jesus did perfectly obey. And yet Jesus took the punishment due for sin. God's justice was poured out on Jesus. Jesus felt the hatred of God for rebellious sinners. You know, Jacob deserved all the hatred that Esau got. As we deserve punishment for our sin. Yet Jesus, the innocent, perfect son of God, took it in our place. He suffered the pain of rejection and torment. Jesus went to the cross to die for sinners, to fulfill the justice of God by becoming the ultimate demonstration of loving mercy. This is at the heart of what we believe as Christians, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was the perfect Son of God, keeping God's requirements 
perfectly. When he died, he died to give us that perfect life, taking the justice of God, showing us his mercy. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we received that everlasting life through the promise of resurrection. Jacob and Esau foreshadowed this, the love and justice of God acted out in the world. And Jesus became God's act of justice fulfilled. Jesus is God's act of mercy and grace for Israel, for us, for all. This is good news. And I want to close by giving you three questions to think about, three things from this text of how we can apply it to our lives. You know, first, what is God saying to you? We've talked a lot about the history of God's words and his promises, and the Bible is full of them. But how do you hear that today? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? You know, maybe you're here today, and it seems like God never speaks to you. He seems distant or far off, and uh, you feel maybe ignored by God. Then hear God's word here that he does love you. He has made promises, and he is calling you to live by faith. So what is God saying to you? How is he speaking? Second, what is God doing in your life? Do you feel his hand at work in your life? Is he leading you in a certain way? Is he providing for you? How is he doing that? Or do you feel like he's just bringing judgment and condemnation? Maybe there's a sin in your life that you can't seem to escape and it feels like God is condemning you. Does your sin feel like a crushing burden? Then remember that Jesus was crushed to take away our sin, the guilt of our sin. Remember that God is a loving father who will bring you from far off into his presence through the Redeemer, through Jesus. And he will invite you to talk to him about this. What is God doing in your life? And finally, how can we respond to God? How do we respond to this? How do you react when God says, I love you? You know, the response given here is worship and praise. We can see the love of God, that God has made promises to us to forgive and to bless us. And Jesus invites us to come to him to repent and believe. You know, repentance is really hard, saying that what we've done is wrong. But God's love doesn't mean that we just see ourselves as sinners. Yes, we have sinned, but God forgives us and calls us his sons and daughters. God loves us so much that he adopts us as his own. And God tells us that our response to this isn't groveling in shame and unworthiness, but instead rejoicing and praising him as he walks with us as we seek to live out the life that Christ has given us. He is with us, working with us, giving us new life. And he calls us to see his love and to respond in thankfulness and say, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, great are you. Thank you, Father, for your kindness, for your love, for your mercy to us. Thank you for the love that you have shown the whole world. Thank you for talking with us, for communicating to us the truth of who you are, the truth of your love for us. You speak to us through your word, through the Bible, and you have shown us so much mercy, not giving us what our sins deserve. And we praise you, Father, for this. Your love is shown to people all over the world, and we rejoice in that. Thank you for calling us out of our sin to have faith in you. Thank you for your patience and endurance in our lives. And so, Father, may we respond to your love with love, seeking to obey, because we want to please you and share the glory 
your glory on earth. We cannot earn your love, Father, but you give it freely, and we praise you and thank you for that. Give us wisdom and courage this week to live out your love, to show mercy and kindness to those around us. Form in us the desire to live for you and to love as you have loved. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.